Welcome back to Motivation Minute. I'm Spencer Harrow, and I'm joined here by my friend, Jariah Miller. How's it going, Spencer? It's going well. And you know, Jariah, this is actually a really fun day. You know why? Why? We've been talking about doing a live drawing for so long. For, well, not a live drawing, but a drawing for a book. Yeah. I, I spoiled the punchline. We're doing it live here on the air. Yeah. How about that? We were going to do it every month, and I think it's been over two months. So. <laughs> yeah, and I think we have enough listeners now. See, we got our, our list up to five people who are eligible for a book. Yes, yeah, so we're having a live drawing today. We'll kick off the podcast with that. But just before we do that, we are Motivation Minute. We go through a book every week. We were challenged to do this earlier this year. I've really enjoyed it so far. I've been learning a lot. These books seem to be getting better every time. Like this book we're going to talk about, these two next books we're talking about, I'm really excited about. Yeah, and typically we focus on business or personal development. We're kind of gearing this for entrepreneurs. And so yeah, so it's awesome. So you want to start with the live drawing now? Sure, go ahead. All right. So I got this spreadsheet pulled up on Google Sheets. You can sign into it if you want. But I got our latest entries down. And we're going to leave this up to random who wins because I put in a function for a random number between one and five since we have five people. So you set up like an equation on Google Docs or something that does that or, or what are you, some engineering thing? Yeah, tune in, go over to our uh, drive folder and, and look at this. Okay, hold on. Yeah, Spencer's an engineer, so he um he knows all about the math and... Well, see, I am a software engineer, so I thought I should do a live drawing with software. I mean, exactly. why, how else could I do it? Exactly. I mean, we can't pick it out of the hat. People would complain like, oh, my piece of paper was folded a little differently than this other one. I mean, this is completely random. It's computer generated. So you looked at the spreadsheet now? Okay, it looks like we got Duke Tig. Duke Tig. <laughs> and T. Ricardo. ABS. Abs C. ABS we knew who that is. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. Helmet Films, and The Dude Who's Random. Right. And now we're about to find out who won. You ready? I'm going to paste the formula in. And in that winner column, it's going to pop up. You ready? Okay. It's the number one. And that means that Duke Tig, you are the winner. I happen to know who this person is. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah. He's a mentor of mine and a really good friend. So this will be very easy. There actually will be no shipping costs for us. This is actually very oh, convenient. You can just give him the book. <laughs> sorry, guys, whoever's yes, long can. distance. <laughs> but sorry for the other people. You will be entered again, though, because if you win a book, you're out of the subsequent drawings but you're always eligible for a book. Shall we say that? Yeah, let's, let's do that. All right. So Duke Tig, you are the winner. We will get you a book as soon as possible. We should make it, you know, they should be able to pick the book they want. What do you think? Out of okay. the ones that we've done. So they just send us a message and tell us which book they want. Okay, sounds good. And then, you know, we should do this again, maybe in a month and a half or so, sometime around Christmas yeah. or something. Yeah. So if you want a free book and you're listening for the first time, leave a review to make sure you're entered into the contest to get a free book uh, next month. And we've made it easier than ever to leave a review. All you have to do is go to motivationminute.com slash review, and that will take you right to our iTunes page and uh, get you the chance to leave a review right there. I actually configured that last night, so it makes it super easy. Awesome. Sounds good. All right. You want to start talking about the, the book? Let's do it. Cool. We're on, what's this book? It's the four-hour work week, right? Yeah, and this is a book that I read a few years ago, and I actually got my dad to read it, a couple other people. Um, it was recommended by a, uh, like a mentor of mine, and um, I learned a lot, and so I just briefly went back through my notes. 
um, reviewing it for this for this podcast. And um, first of all, I, you know, the title is a little bit like controversial, like four hour work week. Like, is that even possible? And I don't and that I don't think that's really the point because I think um, that it's not the point of the book is not about working as little or working four hours a week, but I think it's about saving time, not wasting time. Yeah, and let's talk about the author just real quick. It's uh, Timothy Ferris. He's a multi-bestseller of business and personal books. And some of those include like The 4-Hour Body, The 4-Hour Chef. I think this 4-Hour theme is really hit for people. He's got The 4-Hour Workweek, 4-Hour Body, 4-Hour Chef. Yeah, and then he's got a couple other books, Tools for Titans and Tools for Mentors. He's also got another popular podcast called The Tim Ferriss Show. And he takes on... Uh, people who are really strong experts in their fields and talks about how they have focused on their personal and character development, such as in areas like exercise or acting or venture capital or a number of other areas. So I think he's just got a really good perspective he can take yeah. in his book. He's all over YouTube. He's actually like one of the you know big or top like success, self-help, um, business guys, and he's got some good stuff. What do you think is the main point of the book? Hmm. Well, I think it's about, I guess you could say not working hard, but working smart. I, you know, so every, we hear that all the time. Yeah, it's a good point. But uh, I think that's kind of the, the 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 goal or the point of the book. And he talk he gives a lot of practical advice um, on how to how to work smart and so many ways to do systems, how to do automation. And how to put things in place, and really, and also it's got mindset stuff, like how to develop the mindset of how can you how can you spend less time um, to make money. And it, there's an inter- interesting concept, which I guess we could start with, is um, the time value of money, or something like along those lines, where it's not just about how much money you make; it's how long did it take you to make it. And there's actually like a value difference, like with the money, based on the time it takes you to make it. Right. Actually, the other day I was looking at something at my desk. I had a, a check I got in the mail and it was for $1.80 or something. And the funny thing is I decided to cash it. But as I'm cashing, I'm thinking, what am I doing? It's I'm spending two minutes cashing a buck eighty. What good is that? Well, the thing is, if you were to multiply that out to an hour, that's making you, let's say, $2 in two minutes. That makes you $60 an hour if you just did that your entire day. That's actually a really good paying job if you could always yeah. be cashing $2 checks. But how long did it take you to drive to the bank to, to, to cash it? Well, actually, I could cash it online. Oh, okay. So okay, cool. I took a picture of it with my phone. That's And so don't, that's why it only took me two minutes. That goes right along with the, the, the idea of the book, right? The whole automation thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, you can make money in ways you don't even think at first you can. And it's more than just if I work eight to five, what, how much money can I make in that stretch of time? It could be you're making streams of money from other sources at times. Even when you're sleeping, you could be making money because you've got online systems that are automated. It's a really good point. Yes, yeah, some really interesting ideas. But yeah, as far as like how much money you make, um, we always think like, what's you know, what's your your uh, income like every year? Is it hundred thousand? Is it is it thirty thousand? Whatever it is, and we don't think we don't factor in the time. So it's like a question: Would you rather um, make a hundred thousand a month and 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 work every hour of the day, be stressed, exhausted, and hate your job, you know, basically? 
Or would you make, you know, 2000 a month and work four hours a week, let's say. And so you have to decide, like, which one, which one would you rather want? And I think it's different for everybody. There's no right answer, but it's an interesting... Well, I was just thinking about it today. I was thinking, like, what would I do? Because, you know, it's hard to put a, a money value on time, isn't it? Well, I guess... Because, well, not really. Let's say it takes you, you know, the same person. It might take him um, a year to make 30000 where it could take somebody else, you know, um, five days to make the same amount. And so I think the money is way more valuable to the person who didn't take as much time, right? Okay, right. So it's like the more money you make in the shorter time, it's more valuable in that or, way. Sorry, but, I didn't but what quite about... say that right. It's like less money is more valuable, valuable to you if, you can, if it doesn't take up all your time to make it. I wonder how you come up with a standard for like how much money you're willing to value your free time at because you as you were saying you could work and only make 2000 a month but have a lot of time to spend with your family like time is something you can't get back but money is something you can mm-hmm. exactly so there's they gives you sort of a weighting factor for how much value you put on that time you can't get back versus on the money you can like there is a trade off at some point depending on the priorities exactly. you have depending but, on the priorities i mean because you you could be like well i'll make 100 a month and not work at all and you, you still need to make money at some point. But there, there's got to be a, a point mm-hmm. where there's a trade-off. Yeah. But it's hard to define. Well, in the book, he talks about how it's like it seemed like the whole goal is, you know, to be able to travel anywhere you want in the world, you know, lay on a beach sip, sipping margaritas. <laughs> That's kind of the... It doesn't the, quite work for everybody. Yeah, it doesn't work for everybody. Some people... it's Well, I think the point is to do what you want to do or what you, um, you know, what priorities you have. Whether that's traveling or spending time with your family or or hobbies or or whatever whatever it may be, or maybe you like doing business so much that you can start new businesses and work more, but basically doing what you want instead of what you have to, I think is the point. Right, and and part of the idea is when you free up your time so that you can pursue the things you want to do, that brings you more joy. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think the another a really big point of the book here was. To not let your life be ruled by a what's called a dichotomy, I guess dichotomy, where you where you hate what you do, where you work in order to support you in doing the things that you want to do. So we think like I'm gonna work really hard now and do you know even though I hate it, so that I can like work less sometime in the future. And it said that's a bad mindset to have. It goes back to the idea of time, how you can't get it back because when you're in that kind of job, you're thinking well. Maybe tomorrow I'll do something, or maybe in the future I'll start something that I th- that would be better for me or is a better fit. But the thing is, thinking about it in the future and not taking action now means it's unlikely to happen unless you are taking steps now to bring that forth. Because you got to take the next step on your goals and dreams to change that reality today, not tomorrow. Wow. Because just it doesn't happen tomorrow. That's so good. It's, it works in any area. We always think think we can do it later. Like. Sometimes we'll say, well, I'm going to put off the easy things till later, like, you know, the fun things. And that's actually, I would say that in general, that's a really good idea to, to do the hard things now to, to, and so that you can, you know, trading, um, instead of just having fun in the moment, it's better to actually work, work now. But it, but it's still the idea. If we don't, if we put off the things that we want to do, we'll never do them. Just like if we put off the things that we have to do. You know, it, it's, it, it's like, never... so Ferris said in the book at one point, like the time you spend in retirement 
you, you're like spending your whole life working for retirement and then retirement comes, you're like, what do I do now? Well, what if you could spread your retirement out over multiple mini vacations through the rest of your life and enjoy those moments in the present rather than just like stockpiling them for the end? That's so good. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, people when people retire, normally they've been working their whole life for so long you know, and something they didn't like to do. And then when they, they get retired, they're bored. They have nothing to do and they're so old. Maybe and they end they up picking another job up because it's like, what yeah. do I do? Exactly. Like my grandpa still works lots of hours every day and he's like 80, 83 years old because he likes it. He has a little business that he does and he likes doing it. And, and people may, sometimes might accuse him of being, you know, workaholic, but he, he wants to do it. It's not like he feels like he has to. Um, yeah, it goes back to that whole work-life balance thing because when if you were to just work constantly and not take a break, you really want that, you know, retirement to the end if you're just working, working, working. But the thing is, you just won't be used to being off when you get to that point. So if you're able to balance it out, yeah, each moment of time you're spending a good amount of time work and then good break, you can spread that out over your life and it feels more normal. You stay in a routine. Yeah. I think there's some phases where you have to obviously, you know, you're in a situation where you have to support your family or you know, you have to be able to work hard even though in a job you might not like and you have to be okay with that but maybe have the long-term goal of of um that mindset that you can that you're gonna find ways to yeah not be ruled by a dichotomy where you you know where you hate your work and we talked about this in the last episode about happiness where if you if what you want to do and what you know you should do are not aligned then it's then you, you won't be happy and it's all going to this point that Ferris makes. He calls it the freedom multiplier in the book. It's just gain control over what you do, when you do it, where you do it, and with whom you do it. And that's with money or a number of other things. But it just gives you more freedom when you're able to gain that control. And that's the whole point we've been talking about where, you know, maybe take a little less money now in order to have more freedom versus have a lot of money and no freedom. It's like yeah. there's a trade-off. He makes a good point of, you know, poverty of lifestyle versus poverty of bank account. It's not just about how much money. You could have a lot of money and have a horrible family life and never do anything fun. You know, that that's not good. So And you can be life. on the other side where you have no money hardly and but you also have really high family, uh, being in a really good situation. Like he said, you could travel the world for quite a lot less money than you'd think. Because if you can reduce yourself down to a carry on suitcase you can go quite a few places on the cheap. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, so there's a lot of pr um, practical tips like this in the book. Um, yeah, what are some of the, your notes here that, uh, as far as some practical things? I'm seeing your notes here that success is proportional to the number of like uncom uncomfortable conversations you can have. What, what's that? Well, I find that interesting. So, you know, we focus so much on what's normal in our life and we get caught up in like we want to get into routine so that like it's hard, it's hard to break out of your routine. Like you get going to work and you get good camaraderie with your team and then suddenly something changes and you have to change teams. It seems like the biggest deal, but sometimes when you make the change is the most important time in your life rather than the times when everything's going smoothly. So hmm. if you have more conversations where you're uncomfortable in the conversation, meaning you reach out beyond your comfort zone and do the hard kind of conversation, it's going to grow you in ways that it can get you into the network of even the elite at times because you'll push beyond where you feel like you can be. But by doing that, you're raising the standard that you can attain because you don't settle for what's less and easy. Wow. It's kind of, kind of like a challenge of the status quo. I think, I think that was like a big point of the book. Right. 
I mean, that's kind of the whole point of the book because the whole idea is you don't want to get caught up in what everyone does because in order to become the as successful as you can be, you have to set a difference for yourself. Yeah, and then, and that's challenging what's normal. Yeah, like most people don't want to do they do things that are comfortable. So one thing that I learned from the book, and I actually use this a lot, I feel like in my life is ask for forgiveness, not permission. And this isn't like a completely literal statement, like in everything, um, but. If there's something that you feel like you should do or that you want to do, but you feel like there may be some things that might make you uncomfortable or you might, maybe even you'll have to not take advantage of somebody, but you know, you, you can't just ask, it can't just be good. with If it's good with everybody and everybody's okay with you doing it and it's just normal, then that means it's, it's not worth doing. So you have to ask, be, be okay with having to ask for forgiveness maybe in the, in the future. Have that mindset where, you know what, I'm going to do what I have to do and not just settle for normal. So ask for forgiveness, not permission before, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because you do have to go beyond what is accepted in the culture, um, doing things that are different than would be considered normal. Hey, good example would be how I did college. I started a community college and then I transferred to an online program with Arizona State University. I was like in the first graduating class of electrical engineers that was 100% online and you know, the beauty was we got the same professors, the same labs, the same tests, and at the same degree, but we did it all from our bedrooms. And that was challenging the status quo of college, where mostly you have to be in class, on campus. But I was able to be in a group graduating where we had engineering degrees online, which is unheard of at this point, but it's going to shift as time goes on. And you probably spent a little bit less time whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, you know, um, you know, spent more, all the other time spent socializing, getting to class, and you know, commuting. That just was all the extra time that you didn't have to spend, right? So, right. But the, then there's the trade-off. You have to spend more time explaining the degree to people because they don't understand how can you do engineering online. But it's becoming very feasible. Wow, interesting. Yeah. So um, it also talked about the eighty-twenty rule and how. And so basically, most people measure productivity by time spent working. So, you know, I work 12 hours a day, like, you know, I'm doing a lot of work, but it's, that's, not, that's a bad indicator. You know, it's just the time you spend working isn't that important. Yeah, I think more on the 820 rule would be really interesting because uh, the background on it, do you know anything about that? No, not a whole lot. So there was this guy, Perito, in Italy, and he determined that like, of the wealth of Italy was held by 20% of the population. So that's where this rule started. And the whole point is that, you know, 80% of consequences are caused by 20% of problems. So like if you're a hotel chain and you get all these complaints, well, you could take all your complaints, rank them on a scale, and then figure out where 20% uh, or where 80% of the problems that are reported link back to 20% causes. And if you just fix that 20% of the causes, you fix 80% of the problem. Wow. That's really interesting. So, like, so it's like disproportionate return for small investment. Yeah, or it's kind of like instead of focusing on our weaknesses, uh, focus on the, on the small percent of, focus on the small percentage of things that you're good at. And by focusing on that small 20%, that's going to give you your biggest like 80% of your results, right? That's really good. I like that because I had not thought of it that way where you focus on that little bit that you're successful at and the rest just kind of runs away because you're fixing 80% of your life by focusing on 20% of what yeah. you're good at. That's like, cool. In like a business, they say like, you know, 20% of your customers 
and I found this true for me, is there's only a couple customers that, that have given me the, the most, by far the most, like 90% of my business. The others are just kind of a bother. And, and it's kind of just a, 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 a basic go-by because it isn't always that proportion, but you can pretty much boil any proportion or any set of data down to that and have the gist of what of the data fit mm-hmm. into that mold. It yeah. sometimes it's like 90% and 10 or 70 and 30, but the whole idea is a small root cause influences a big consequence. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. Yeah, it says focus on doing the few things that will lead to the bigger progress. And just a little advertisement here, I think our next book is going to dive way deeper into this. Um, so anyway, that's coming up. <laughs> so Yep, that'll be good. Yeah. And then there was one more law while we're on the topic of that. It was Parkinson's law. Um, I found this interesting because it, it says that a task will swell in complexity and importance in relation to the time allotted for its completion. All right, let's just simplify that down okay. into like everyday speech. So the longer you have to do something, the harder it is. Hmm. Interesting. You don't usually think of it that way. No. But like if you have a really big task, like, okay, let's say taxes. So people could spend, they, they could look three months ahead of, you know, tax day and be like, I got to get my taxes done. Well, that's a bigger challenge then and they can run into more problems and frustrations if they spend more time on it than if they were to go within a week of taxes and submit because when you are closer to the deadline, you let other stuff in your life go to the side, you focus solely on that thing and the things that you would have gotten hung up with if you had a lot of time to solve them become non-issues because you just go past them and not worry about them. Wow, yeah, like I can get so much done in the last minute, but if I, it takes forever if I, or I, I just can't get myself to do it, you know, if I try um, to do it ahead of time. In a way, It's you, like so many obstacles come up that you don't think would be there. Mm-hmm. Wow. So basically if you set a deadline, like you have to do it in this amount of time, it'll be easier. Because you pretty much just focus on that item until it's done mm-hmm. rather than letting it become this big deal that drives you and makes you uh, distracted through the day because you're just so worried about it. Well, just put it off to the side till tomorrow and then just do that tomorrow. It'll be a whole lot easier than worrying about it today. I just found that really interesting. Yeah. Another thing it said it was be effective, not just efficient. So you could be efficient at a useless task or at a, you know, at a lot of things that you think you're really efficient at, you're 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 majoring in the minors basically because it's not even important to begin with. You know, it says doing something unimportant well does not make it important. Huh? That's a cool idea, because you know, we'll do that a lot. We'll take things that aren't that critical and like spend a lot of time on them, and then when something important comes up, we'll shove that to the side because it's just making us nervous about doing it, and then we'll finally tackle it and not do it as well as the unimportant thing. What if we just reversed it? spent most of our time on what's important. It's just back to the whole seven habits. You know, we had that square of trying to focus on what's not urgent, but what's important. It's kind of like that. Yeah, definitely. So where, where do you want to jump to from here? So I think I see a note here. You said busyness is not a virtue. Right. <laughs> it's actually something interesting I found on there in the book because, you know, we think being busy is a good thing because it keeps us, well, we're busy. It, it, it's like, Everyone's busy. That means we're doing a lot of things and we're staying active in society. Well, it's not always a good thing because 
you know, you can be busy with the unimportant things. It's what you were going back to what you just said, doing something unimportant well doesn't make it important. So being busy doesn't make it important. Mm-hmm. I like that. It's like because, the whole premises of the book. It's not about working, you know, tons of hours. People say like, oh, I worked 12 hours today, you know, wow, great job. Well, well, what did you get done? I mean, right. It's being effective in those four hours, like the book proposes or whatever time it is for you. It's just being effective in the time you put to it rather than, you know, spending a lot of time and not being as effective. So busyness could actually be a form of laziness. Right. Because we use it as a crutch. You know, a good way to solve busyness, I think, is to be selectively ignorant. That's what the book said. Okay. And I, I caught, caught on to that. I like that term. Here's what that means. Okay. Keep a low information, news, and notification diet. So like you can check your email only twice a day by choice and delay when you send messages so that they show up at like 12 and 4 uh, when people are when, when you would be checking your email the next time. Uh, delay that send so that you're not always getting bugged by email or be specific about when and how people can interrupt you and keep interactions brief and to the point so they don't spend unnecessary time with people when you could be getting other work done. Yeah, I think Tim Ferriss said he like he only checks his email once every week or every two weeks or something like that. And that would be nice. You know, sometimes it might not be practical for certain situations, but wow, instead of always responding. But he says a schedule, like I think in the book he was talking about on his voicemail, he says you know, I'll check my voicemail messages at this time and this time in the day. And then I'll call you back if I have the time. If I, if it's an urgent issue, call my cell phone or send me an email and I'll get back to you at the same time. So he like schedules his life so that wow. he can predict when he's going to look at his email and not have that drive him all day long. So being selectively ignorant means not even knowing, you know, just refusing to even look at your notifications to know if you have emails, right? Right. Or putting your phone away you know, at night and just spending the time as quality time with your family. If we were to all put our phones away for a certain number of hours every day, think of how many more quality interactions we'd have because uh, it's just, it's a challenging thing to do today because we're so tied to our devices and always wanting to be in the know with what everyone's doing. But do we have to know that moment? Can we wait an hour? I think we can. Yeah, that's, wow, so good. All right, I want to move to the next um, point in the book. Next, Sounds cool. So it said, find a specific niche. So if you're in business or anything, find a specific. So we always think of being, you know, doing like I used to think the more you do, the better, you know, you better it would be. Right. So I'm going to have a business where I do um, video production, logo design, website design, this, you know, and it said actually it's better to pick something narrow. So go deep instead of wide. And um, it's not necessarily limiting to stay in a small niche actually can provide more freedom. Well, they say that with website design, like make sure that you check your audience ahead of the website and do keyword searches and get your keywords straight so that you get the right people. And then like building a podcast, make sure you have the right audience you're targeting because if you're just so general, no one will listen. If you're too specific, nobody would really care except for the one person who cares about that one facet of life. Wow. But if you keep a target that's got some range to it, but is uh, niche oriented. It's a good way to go. Wow. So yeah, it's so it's like t- Toyota versus Ferrari, and you know both business models work. But Toyota has like you know hundreds of models of cars, or you know, or at least a lot of different models, and they're all relatively low priced. So there's a lot of selection, huge selection, and they don't make that much margin or profit per car, right? 
whereas Ferrari has only a couple models, like very limited amount of models, but they're very premium, high-priced. They make a lot more margin per per car. And it said that you want to take Ferrari's model. It's just easier. Obviously, you can go the other model and if you're you know big business or something, but as far as for most people, it's easier to, to pick a small market to like pick something that's less options, um, higher price, more premium kind of concept, um, because it's easier to be to be, and it's also easier to be the best in a small market. So yeah. while we're on that, let's take it to a, a, like the airline industry. Okay. So like Southwest Airlines is built on just having 737 aircraft, and that means they only have to train their pilots on like two or three models of 737s. It may be slightly different than that, but. It's the point is it's not 737s and 747s and 767s and 777s and Airbus 320s and Airbus 319s. <laughs> it's one model of airplane, and by doing that, they can switch their pilots all the time and their crews. Versus other airlines have so many types of planes which get them farther distances and have more range of options. Yeah, but they're limited. And I think in the next book we're going to talk more about the some more things that Southwest does. Good, I think, yeah. But anyway, that's a really good example. Like, it's interesting. My dad read the book, and yeah, like a few years ago, and he immediately, when he found out about this uh, this concept, it actually said specifically to have less options for your customers because if there's less options, it'll um save like brain power deciding which one to buy, and they're more likely to buy if they don't have as many choices. So he actually did that's it. He went and eliminated because he has his log home business. So my dad went and eliminated. The majority of of the models of the different log houses, you know, just from reading this book, um, you know, the ones that weren't selling well or where people didn't like as much, you know, there's just so many models, and you think, well, more is better, right? But you know, less options is actually yeah. Better. It's tempting to keep more options because you think, oh, maybe someone won't come if they don't like this particular or if they want that particular house, but it's not there. Well, you know, the majority, if you you have to look at life by the numbers sometimes, and you know, one person wanting this type of house doesn't matter as much as 10 people wanting a certain model. Mm -hmm. So focus on where the profit is and really home in on that. I like that point. That said, it's um, once somebody has decided that they're going to make a sale, like we're going to buy a log home, it's not that difficult to move them to a higher price product or convince them to spend more money. The hard part is to get them to make that initial decision, but if they've already made that, um, and generally, they already have. If they're going to buy from you, you're not even going to have to convince them to make the sale. They already know that they want, you know, a, a product from you. They want to buy a log house. Then it's very yeah, negotiable. Less options makes it easier. Yeah, and then you can really negotiate, like, or you can convince them to spend more money. So it's not about getting them to spend less or more money, like we think maybe. It's about getting them to make that initial decision. So if you have a smaller, if you have a more premium company that has less choices, higher. Um, higher prices, it's not necessarily harder to get them to buy, um, uh, or it's sorry, it's not harder to get them to spend more money. Um, um, it's just that initial ch decision. Right, and and part of a salesman's job is to figure out have they made that decision. I love like going in a car dealership and watching the guy who's you know helping people out, and some people take a long time to make a decision and are really drawing that out and thinking. There's other people that just walk in and buy the car on the spot. You know, and then that salesman's job is to figure out like where are they in that spectrum and try to massage his message so that he's able to sell that car to whoever the group is. And it's kind of fun to watch. Mm -hmm. So there's a good example that shows that, you know, not even charging 
that much more money can make a big difference uh, in the larger scale. So let's say you have a vitamin company, it's $10 per bottle. So you need to sell 400 uh, of those to, to make, let's say, $4,000. But if you charge $40 per bottle, maybe you have a little bit more premium priced, you only have to sell 100. So that's you have to make four times less the sales. Um, and $40 versus $10, um, I mean, that's the difference, but it doesn't seem as, as big of a difference as, you know, 100 versus 400 sales. Like, so the return is, is perceived as greater if you have higher prices because then you have to make far less sales. Right. And thinking that, you know, the person has their decision made up not based on price, but based on, am, am I going to give you any money in the first place? That takes away some of the challenge of deciding, should I raise the price or not? Yeah. So it's kind of a cool, cool tip of, um, yeah, I like that. Go, go deep instead of wide. Um, you know, if you're already like a CEO of a company and you've had experience in tons of businesses and you love business or you're some CEO, maybe it's better to, to take the, the wide model and build a company like Toyota or, but I think that's going to be more difficult. Right. Here's another cool point. I thought there's this thing called the lose win guarantee, which sounds kind of funny, but what it means is it's a way you can sell anything to anyone. It's like, think about Domino's. They have this deal where they'll deliver in 30 minutes or less or else your pizza's free. Hmm. Zappos, you can buy your <laughs> shoes online and it's free shipping and return shipping on the wow. shoes. So if they don't fit, you can send them back. LL Bean's the same way. They got like 100% satisfaction guarantee. And you see the same going across like at my grocery store. There's a sign that says, hey, if we don't have a rotisserie chicken here, you know, if it's not here between 5 and 8 p.m., we'll give you a free one. People that set a standard where that they're willing to lose for you to win, that makes a good sale. Wow, interesting, yeah. People are more likely to buy, and you know, we almost think it's like cheesy, you know, 60-day money-back guarantee or something, but it works, you know, that's why they use it. You're willing to, um, yeah, lose for the, other, and for the other person to win, wow. Or same with like free trials. Yeah. How you'll give people a month to try it out, and then they'll start paying the fee, but you'll lose that month. When you could have been making money, but you got to make that trade off. So give a lot. Huh, so, I like that. So give lots of um, off, you know, s discounts or you know, um, make sure that you're offering adding a lot value. Of value. Yeah, don't be afraid. Don't be stingy and like, oh, we're not going to give you, you know, that money off or you know, like you got to think of the big picture and uh, think lose win. I guess that's cool. So what do you think? Is that a good summary? Yeah, I think that uh, was a good, good summary. So how about we jump to our questions? Okay. All right, so what's what's a scenario you think where you can think of where you spent um relatively short amount of time and which produced or was or is going to produce um a lot of return or money based on that? That's a good question. You know, something that comes to mind is a few weeks ago I was at your ranch and planting garlic with your uncle and I had so much fun doing that because I realized that, you know, one clove of garlic, I found out was worth like 20 cents. And when that thing gets harvested uh, later in, like in June or sometime in the summer, I'm not the garlic expert. It's July, I think. Um, when that gets harvested, it's worth two bucks. So I was essentially planting money to grow. And that was kind of fun to think about because there's not much you got to do to tend garlic. I mean, you got to weed it, water it, but you know, all winter it just sits there dormant. So you don't have to do anything in the winter. And then it grows in the spring. 
and you have a 10 times return on each of those globes, that can bring in some serious money and you at planted the end of like the year. a couple thousand cool. of them, right, in a few hours. <laughs> yeah, I, we planted like row upon row, and you know it's going to reap a lot in the future. I mean, you had to put a big investment in to get it in, and we multiplied times, I think, 50% from the previous year, increasing the yield, we're yeah. hoping, and you know... That's a good return on investment. I liked that. And I only spent, you know, four or five hours doing so that. So you could e- either, you know, get a job where you get paid by the hour to plant garlic, or you could plant your own garlic for twenty cents of a bulb and get t- right. two dollars. Right, get paid nothing at the beginning and then get paid a ton at the end. It's yeah, the so whole you idea, spend, you know, spend your time strategically. Yeah, you spend way less. You spend your time and then have a huge return. And a lot of times that return doesn't come right away. Maybe like it'll come in the future. Right, kind of like that's an right, and yeah. So like a lot of income streams, you think about markets like the stock market or real estate or you know building a website that generates income. That doesn't happen right away. You have to put in that time, not knowing when the income is going to come, but then eventually it reaps. You know, hopefully it would reap some benefit, but sometimes it doesn't, and so you learn from those mistakes. It's just it is delayed gratification, which that's why people like working a job where it's a consistent paycheck every month. But you're putting an effort to the company and not reaping the full benefit because the company's benefiting off of you more than you can benefit yeah. yourself when you make a big investment. So the so, company is, in a sense, even though they're spending a lot of time now, they will have a way higher payoff later. The owner will, um, because he's thinking of the long term. Um, you know, spending. Um, you know, for the amount of time he's putting in, he'll get far greater return than an employee. And that's why we're trying to stay on like an entrepreneurial kind of lifestyle, at least the two of us and trying mm-hmm. to encourage others because the more time you put in yourself to make those investments, the more there can be payback, but there's higher risk. You just have to accept that lifestyle if you want the payback at the end. And that's the challenge I think mm-hmm. that holds people back from being entrepreneurs. Yeah. And it's not about just like I think you you could get confused and think, well, I'm only going to work, you know, use this as an excuse to only work four hours a week or be lazy, and that's not what it is. It's, I think you know, I think you should be willing to put in lots of hours, at least in the beginning of part of your life when you're young, but t- work work a lot, put in lots of hours, but have the mindset of you know what 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 are you spending your time on, and how can you have the biggest return for your time. Okay, we're going to jump right off of that. What are you going to spend your time on? I'm going to give you a question. You ready? Okay. All right, so I'm thinking, I'm wondering, how are you, after reading this book, going to be more selectively ignorant, like we talked about, for how you'll handle your information diet? Selectively ignorant. So I think another way to look at it would be to be just ignorant of some of the uh, pointless things that are going on like politics right. <laughs> so it'd be better just to be <laughs> ignorant of it because it, it's not going to benefit you that much anyway unless you want to be a politician <laughs> to learn about politics and so for me spending time you know YouTube look what you know trying to develop my political opinions or you know it's not going to pay off and so I need to be selectively ignorant of that I think in my life moving forward it's, you know it's, I need to focus on things that benefits myself and not worry about um you know, things that are outside of my control. <laughs> you know, for so. me, I think it's going to be with my phone trying to figure out which notifications to turn off because there's certain ones that go off and, you know, my, my pocket buzzes and I, there's this thing you can get called phantom buzz 
Okay. Uh, it's actually like scientifically documented where even if your phone's not in your pocket, your pocket starts to vibrate, you think. And it's this <laughs> thing where your phone's not even there. All right. So this happens to me, actually. I've, ha- I've experienced it. And the thing is, we're just so tied to our notifications, trying to get them and not wanting to miss a thing that we get all worried about it. So I think turning off notifications or choosing when they come in to be a certain period of the day and other times where you just let them uh, like stockpile for a certain point where you can absorb them all. I want to find a way to do some of that with certain apps. I've tried it on like Instagram. I turn off most of the notifications uh, when people like like my photos or when people add me as a friend or send a friend request or you know make a post. I don't want to see that every moment. I want to be careful about going to Instagram when I want to go to Instagram, mm-hmm. not when Instagram tells me to go to Instagram. That's so good. And at least in my case, I got to learn to do that more. Same here. I should I should look into that. Man, this has been good. Do you have a number one takeaway from this? So I think a sim- to simplify it would be think of uh, quality over quantity. So, you know, do you want to be the cheapest guy, cheapest business around, or do you want to be the highest quality? And I think that'll pay off. Um you know, do you want to be spending lots of your time, you know, lots of quantity of your time or quality of your time? Right. Going back to that whole like efficiency versus effectiveness thing. Yeah. Where do you want to be doing things the fastest way you can or being as effective as possible? Yeah. That was a good point we had simple, earlier on the podcast. Yeah. What about you? I think I realized I need to challenge the status quo if I really want to be an entrepreneur. And that's not getting caught up in the corporate America race the way everyone does it. Find ways to set myself apart so that when it's time to make that jump into entrepreneurial pursuits, which right now I'm starting out in corporate America, trying to get a foundation. The goal is don't get caught up in what's normal for me right now and get used to routine and just settle into that. Find ways to become uncomfortable by challenging the status quo because that will increase my opportunities for Wow. You know, benefits of earnings in the future. That's really inspirational. That's that's good. Interesting. Cool. This was really fun. Yeah, this was a really fun. Great episode. So if you want to hear more episodes like this, you know, check out our, our feed. We have a number of books so far. I think we're on episode 10 here. And also visit motivationminute.com and leave a review. That would help us out. Remember, the link is easy. Motivationminute.com slash review. That takes you right to the iTunes page where you can leave a review for us. And we will be holding another live book drawing. That was pretty fun. We'll do that sometime in December, hopefully. Yeah, totally. And also download our free checklist if you want to learn how to read books uh, fast, like we do, instead of having to read the whole book from cover to cover, which just takes too much time, in my opinion, if you want to read a lot of books. Yeah, and it helps you become more effective about how you read, where you capture the key points, and then the things you wouldn't remember anyhow, probably... They just slip to the side and you focus on what's important. Yeah. So drills in the purpose of this book, focus on the most effective things. And download that on motivationminute.com, the checklist. So thanks for listening, guys. Um, I'll see you in the next episode, which I'm excited about. All right. See ya.